Reverend Mr. Bruder has gone to preach in the junior church over in the annex this morning. And please listen as I read the first few verses of the great twelfth chapter of the book of Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. I believe a few comments are in order concerning this morning's sermon. First of all, I want you to know that I had great difficulty in deciding upon a title for this sermon. As printed in the bulletin, it's called The Making of Heroes. And though I did my research with Dr. Webster's book, and I know that a hero is not necessarily just a male, but According to his third definition, it can be any person, male or female, young or old, who is admired or who is to be considered as a hero or a model or an ideal. I knew when I submitted the title for publication or for advertisement that there probably would be some individuals who do find in such titles innuendos and undertones of a male chauvinist. And I, I want you all to be assured that when I speak of heroes, I mean all people, both male and female. I could have very easily called this sermon the making of heroin, but I was afraid that when that was announced over the radio, as the sermon titles always are prior to the service of worship, the people in the surrounding states would wonder what we were doing here, and before I could probably pronounce the apostolic benediction, the authorities from the narcotic squad would be here to arrest me. Tomorrow's a holiday. I hope to be at the ball yard. I don't intend to be at a prison farm, so hence the title, The Making of Heroes and Not of Heroines. Secondly, a comment concerning why I am preaching this particular sermon. I am preaching it to the glory of God and in a very grateful attitude and feeling for the great number of heroes 
that some of you have been to me in these past years. Men and women, young people, not only of this church, but even somewhere outside the church. Some of you are here this morning, and I'm looking right at you. Some are not here. Some of my heroes are still living. Some have died, and they're on the other side. But as I begin today my 14th year as pastor of this great church, and feel privileged to be a person living in such an exceptional community, I feel that the writer of the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews that I have surely been surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Many of you are my heroes. You, to me, are people. And a hero to me is an individual, you see, who does not get there because of his personality or his prestige or his power, not even because of his piety. But a hero to me is someone who in a very practical way has put on the armor of Christ and has caught on to practicing and pursuing that very practical philosophy that was brought and wrought through the life, death, teachings, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like the Apostle Paul, some of you have put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can say it is not me, but it is Christ that liveth in me. And because of that, you're my hero. Some of you have, have, have adopted these philosophies that Jesus Christ was talking about when he came in his life and his death to say, I have come that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. Jesus Christ did not come to life to play games but to provide us the way, the truth, to life. And some of you have caught it, and because of it you are my hero and the hero I know of many. And the wonderful thing about it is some of you don't even know it, that you are someone else's hero. And I preach this sermon in appreciation for you. For those of you who are here today or in the sound of my voice who have found that practical philosophy, which I think is best summarized in that saying, you not only have learned how to make a living, but you have not forgotten how to live. Learning how to make a living, but not forgetting how to live. That, that's not original with me. Those of you who have good memories and recalls, you will know that that is a part of a commercial used as an advertisement by a company whose product I cannot and will not sponsor, but whose philosophy is very sound and who and comes from the New Testament. 
You're a hero to me because not only do you make a living, and some of you are quite good at that, but in the process you have not forgotten how to live. You have found, even while you sweat, that life is not so much what one gets as it is what one can give. You have found that work and labor is not a penalty but a privilege. You have shown to me in so many different ways that you understand that the talents which are yours are not there because you have gained them, but because they have been given you by God. You have shown me that to you money is not a God to be worshipped, nor is it garbage to be wasted, but rather merely a medium of exchange which you use to bring happiness not only into your own, but to other people's lives as well. Problems to you are not obstacles as much as they are opportunities. And you have found that being thankful for what you have is more important than always thinking about what you don't have. And you know that the spirit that is within you is far more important than the sickness of your skin or what's under the skin. You've learned how to live because you're not afraid to die. And you have found that living is something more than existing. And you have not laid up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves do break through and steal. But in some way, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 12 months a year, you are trying to the best of your ability and with the aid of the Holy Spirit to practice and pursue the teachings of Jesus Christ. And you're my hero. Because in learning how to make a living, you haven't forgotten how to live. And secondly, some of you are my heroes because I have seen you go through that particular idea which says, no matter how many times I get knocked down, I'm always going to stand up again. Remember that little story of Johnny, that boy who, who would not sit down in the classroom? The teacher said, Johnny, sit down in your seat. No, ma'am. Sit down, I said, Johnny. And after she had pleaded three or four times, she went over and she pushed him down by his shoulder. He said, there, I hope you're satisfied. Teacher, you, you might have pushed me down on the outside, but I'm still standing up on the inside. It may not be good philosophy for school, but it's a wonderful psychology to have, to be able to stand up after you've had the legs knocked out from you for about the umpteenth time. That's what makes heroes. Over on one of my 
shelves in my home study, there's a scuffed, dirty baseball. And inscribed on that little sphere are these words, too big, best of luck, Lip Sewell, 1943. Some of you remember Rip Sewell, don't you? He was and still is my hero. For those of you who were not following the Pittsburgh Pirates 30 years ago, Rip Sewell was a pitcher who was exciting, thrilling, and had a great spirit. And he, he, he discovered what was called the blooper pitch. And well, he was right-handed. He would throw the ball, come off the end of his fingertips, and in a very slow and high arc, it would hopefully eventually come across the plate for a strike. And I have seen many batters frustrated to see that thing come and be called a blooper pitch. And still here, Rosie Rosewell laughing at Rip Sewell's blooper pitch. One of the saddest days in my young life was when Ted Williams hit a home run off that blooper pitch in some all-star game in the mid-40s. But Rip Sewell is my hero, and 30 years ago I wrote him a letter and I told him so. And he answered that letter, and he said, Dear Dick, if you ever come to the ballpark, please make sure you introduce yourself to me, for I would like to meet you. And my wonderful father made all the arrangements. I can still remember the box was Ollie Ferguson's box 16, row 8, seat 1 and 2 in Great Forge Field. Literally, I was excused from school in September and went down early and ran down, remember where the powered bullpen used to be in old Forbes Field? And I stood there in that last box and watched Rip warm up. And with a voice that was sopranoed with fear, I shouted out, Mr. Sewell, I'm Dick Morch. And he came over and he talked to me and what can a big athlete say to a little boy? He didn't have to say anything. He reached in his hip pocket and he said, oh, here, by the way, here's your baseball. And he threw it to me and I made a catch that would put Willie Mays to shave. And I ran back to the box and I showed it to my father and a few minutes later, Rick came down and he stopped at the box and I had the privilege of introducing my baseball hero to my biggest hero in life, my father. And I can still see my father take his pen, the big Ben, the black and white, looked like marble, covering, and he gave it to Rip, and Rip signed that baseball. And that baseball to this day sits on my study shelf. I think some of you know the sequel Bob Prince told it to us this spring. That man whom we watched many times walked to the mound. Today cannot walk anywhere. He has had both legs amputated because of a circulatory condition. Bob asked us to send cards and letters, and many, many thousands did, and Al Abrams, in his column several months ago, printed a letter that Rip Sewell had written to him asking for him to print it for the readers of the Pittsburgh area. 
Thank you. Some of you read that letter. It was great. And in it was that same spirit, that same confidence, that same courage of the man who invented the blooper pitch. And tonight, before I go to bed, I'm going to write a letter to Plantation City, Florida, to Rip Sewell. Remind him of what happened 30 years ago and to tell him that he was used as a sermon illustration of a hero today. But that's what's going to happen tonight. Today, this very moment, I just want to thank the number of people here this morning and in this church and community whom I have seen had the props knocked out from under them and who have stood again. I've been through a lot with some of you and some of you prematurely had a job position taken away. And some of you have received the pathologist's report and the prognosis is not good. And some of you have known personal disappointment. And some of you have known great up evil and personal hell in your own family relationship. And some of you have had to know the death of a loved one who seemed to die far too early in life. And I've seen you when your legs couldn't hold you. But thank God, I've seen you when you came back, when you still say your prayers, when you still read your Bibles, when you still come to the church, and you have that smile back upon the face and the twinkle in the eye, which symbolizes to me the hope that is in the heart. And I thank God for you, because you're my heroes. And I doubt very much whether I could preach with any power if I didn't have you heroes. Those of you who have fallen, but have stood up to walk again. But I think the biggest heroes are those individuals in my life who I know know who they are and they're not afraid to show it. Who know who they are, and, and then they're not afraid to show it. I was talking to a friend the other day about a third mutual friend of, our, of both of us, and he said to me, Dick, you know the reason I like so-and-so? It's because he knows who he is, and he's not ashamed of it. That's what I like about some of you. You don't put on the pretenses in my presence or in anyone else's. You don't try to become something that you are not. A long time ago you knew that you are not God and you are content to be God's child. You know that you are a sinner. Very grateful to God 
for the privilege of being able to be promoted to one who has been saved. Like Paul, you can say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. As I hear so many at the AA meetings that I'm privileged to, to attend, and when they stand before that microphone and say, my name is so-and-so, I am an alcoholic, and then tell how many years the desire has been arrested. I think, oh, how I wish so many of my people could say, I am a sinner. But thank God I have been saved, and I'm not ashamed of it. Thank you for being you, and not ashamed of it. I preach this sermon, the glory of God and appreciation for some of you. And I preach it also because I am greatly concerned that hero worship is suddenly vanishing from the American scene. Now, some of our most eminent social scientists say, that's good, that's good. The important thing is to teach our young people to do their own thing. Don't let them get hang-ups by trying to emulate their heroes. Some of you believe that. I'm sorry, I can't. I don't believe it because I don't think that's biblical. Read all about the prophets, and they will tell you what they thought of hero worship. They believed in it. Look how many times they're always pointing to the Hebrew people. Look back at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and Moses. Look at Jesus Christ when he tells us parables. Do you realize that almost in every parable there's a hero? The good Samaritan, the publican. Those are heroes. Peter and Paul, they weren't interested in doing their own thing, but in being faithful unto him who called them and saved them through Jesus Christ. But our young people, ladies and gentlemen, if they're going to be hero worshipers, they've got to have heroes. And you see, I personally think it's about time we quit apologizing for the heartaches and the headaches that we might have brought to this world and personally assume the position which God has given us to be a hero and allow some of the people to see what a Christian is like. You see, that's what the 12th chapter is talking about. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so easily, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Let's start being the heroes that God intended us to be. And you know what? One of the great problems that we're worrying about with our young people may be solved. I don't mean to oversimplify it. But to me, the greatest answer that we can have to the drug problem is to combat Halloween with heroes. Thank you, heroes. God bless you. Father, you've given us so much in life. Forgive us when we do not assume our position. We who have been privileged so long to live on the tradition of our heroes, help us to see that we too are to be the heroes of the world of tomorrow. 
and that life is a fight to be fought, a race that is to be run, and above all a faith that is to be kept. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit be and abide with you all now and forevermore. Amen.